The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and on this fine two-person cozy episode for the holidays, I am joined by my one and only co-host, Laura Nash. Hello, Reagan. Hello, Laura. You know why I love two-person episodes, Laura? Because they're easy to edit? Exactly. They're so (laughs) much easier to edit. (laughs) So we can... We can do what we want. Um, so this week we are talking about a game called Chance of Senar, which I've been looking forward to playing and covering since it came out earlier this year. It's it's uh, It was out, I believe, in September uh, mm-hmm. of this year, and it got some incredible reviews from other places, and it just seemed so completely up our alley visually and in terms of just everything about it that I was super pumped to play it. But uh, for reasons that I'm sure we'll talk about, it is one of those things that Laura and I really wanted, or at least I was bugging Laura, like really bugging Laura to see if we could play, to play it together. together. Yeah. Uh, which didn't end up working out, but I'm still I'm still glad I played it um, solo. Uh, Laura got, I haven't finished it, Laura did. Uh, but Laura, can you tell us about Chance of Sinar? Well, this was a game that was so very much up my alley that I got scared. Um, I have not had a game <laughs> so in my wheelhouse in a while. Um, and this year has had some some games that looked on the tin like they were right for me and they weren't. And um, I was very nervous that a uh, game that was billed as uh, Climb the Tower of Babel, decipher multiple languages and learn the story of forgotten people. I was like, oh, it's Laura Bait, it's puzzles, it's language. There's a story component. It looks pretty. Oh, no. What if this is secretly terrible? And I am so happy that this was... Rarely do I get exactly what I wanted, and I did with Chance of Sinar. So, spoiler, I loved this game. I was built to love this game. I was nervous how built I was to love this game. And then, in fact, the execution paid off. Yeah, it's really something. Um, So... I'll, I'll give you the very like high level overview of what this game is for folks who may not have seen it or what have you. Um, this is a uh, it's a uh, a puzzle game. Uh, I would say it's kind of a p- puzzle adventure game. You know, you're mm-hmm. playing it in a way that feels a lot like a, a point and click adventure game. Although it it does away with most, if not all, of the trappings, the traditional yeah. trappings of that. Genre. No combat, right? Um, and you know, not like n- not even the sort of like combine items or you know quirky you know it it has item puzzles sort of kind of but it's it this is mostly a game about solving language puzzles mm-hmm. uh, and that is specifically deciphering these hidden languages so the the visuals are the first thing that was really striking to me this is a game that looks uh it has a, it has a, a like a a, a, f- a flat uh untextured uh uh untextured polygon kind of look to it but this like super high resolution uh tape shapes uh and really impressive shading and wild color palettes and gradients we've played games that look like this before 
especially uh, Sable, which in, in some ways looks so much like this that one could almost believe that they are in a connected world or even like the same series, like very, very similar looks in some ways. Um, specifically, that sort of like uh, very, uh, very smooth, high resolution shapes, but untextured polygons, lots of uh, lots of really deep and interesting color palettes and gradients to the world. But on top of that, like something about this world has a little bit of the same flavor. This is, you know, neither of these games took place in a real setting, but they both have this sort of like desert people's kind of vibe to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Sable, of course, you are speeder biking around this entire world full of full of people. Um, Here, you begin at the bottom of uh, Laura said they call it the Tower of Babel, which is definitely a, the inspiration. It's the reference. They call it the Tower. Yeah, yeah, just the Tower. Um, but in this world, the Tower is a massive structure uh, that is peopled by mul- has divided into multiple layers, which are divided off from each other, and each layer has its own unique role, its own unique culture, and its own unique language. And you are coming here as a stranger and climbing the tower, uh, breaking down barriers between the layers, trying to find ways from one to the next. And as you go, trying to learn the pretty significantly different languages that each of the different layers speaks. Uh, and that was where I was like, I was initially terrified to play this game because yeah, I can that's see a why. lot to that's a lot to to chew on, right? The idea that you're going to have to learn or decipher multiple languages. We've played other games that have language deciphering as a mechanic before, I thought immediately of Heaven's Vault. And it mm-hmm. looks kind of like Heaven's Vault, but maybe, Laura, could you kind of describe what languages are, how they work in this game? Yeah, I think it's kinder in some ways than in Heaven's Vault with the language mechanic because uh, the idea is that you see a glyph um, in usually a list of them and that individual glyph will be added to your library and you can make notes on what you think it might stand for. It will helpfully always add a question mark, which is one of my favorite things if you're guessing and you don't have it confirmed. Um, Once you get a number of glyphs and the game thinks you're at a stage where you should know something, like you've seen it enough or you've seen it in a specific enough context that you should know what this means, it will give you two pages of a journal with drawings in it and you match the glyphs to the drawings, um, and then they will confirm them. And this can be some of the most intriguing shifts in the game because, for example, one glyph uh, we thought was responsible for or like in charge of, and then it ended up being like and love. And we, um, I say we, I played with my husband, and we joked, we're like, what does it say about us that we thought that responsible for (laughs) was love? (laughs) I had a lot of that too. <laughs> um, but but like, it, it, and that's why I say there's some kindness. You don't need the exact word. You are free typing, um, but you need to get the idea of the concept, the gist, and then you learn what this specific culture calls that concept. And I think mm. that's one of the, the cool ways they're doing storytelling through uh, this linguistic mechanic while being a little kinder than some where there is... There are chances where you can know two out of three and then guess the third if you need to. Um, there will be, once things are confirmed, uh, it overwrites your guess and puts the real word in and turns it white and it kind of locks so you can't re-guess words you have. Um, this offsets some of the 
what I thought was fun of like, there's different grammar on different floors and there's different, like there are things that make each language feel different mechanically, but the kindness of like, you'll always get some pages, there are chances to kind of partial guess your way through if you need to, um, helped the levels feel different, but fair to me. Yeah. The, the specific thing about the con- the confirming words mechanic, a mm-hmm. couple things that w- one thing that wasn't clear to me until I got into the game, something that was truly striking fear into my heart and case it wasn't <laughs> obvious from Laura's description is that all of the languages are, um, I'm not a language glyph based. Yeah, yeah. Glyph based. I was going to try to pull the right pictographic. Yeah. Whatever the right word is there. But, um, so you're not, for example, trying to figure out syllables or something like that. That would be yeah. a nightmare. It's uh, full words. Not, yeah. And so like, and whether somebody is speaking or you're seeing words written on a wall, you're, you, you as the player are seeing glyphs. So you're not having to try to, you're, you're learning a language, but you're not, thank God, having to try to figure out like, okay, well, this is what that word sounds like, but how do they write it or vice versa? Like, thank God, yeah. not doing any of that. You're only working with what glyph mean, what means what concept, um, and then if, trying to work it into whatever grammar that particular floor happens to use. If you want to go further and look at the glyphs and think, ah, um, making this up, this is not a real example, but like, ah, this S means a verb, or I think Mm -hmm. that a dot in the upper right-hand corner means this is a person. Like there are signifiers in the language, just like real languages of groups of words and some other primes, um, like there are related concepts look the same. Like they, they, they do tricks to make it feel more like a real language. This is work has made in to make this a fair thing. Um, they're not all random, Yeah, but you don't need that to succeed. It just helps you sometimes if you're like, like ah this is a verb because it has the shape i recognize like that is something you can use but don't have to it can just mm-hmm. accelerate the game if you want it to the other thing that helps a lot in that sort of like uh uh you know figuring out what it, the, the mechanic of sort of like confirming your guesses laura mentioned this but i'm not sure if it was totally clear the um when you get those journal pages they have a certain number of slots in them and you drop the symbols in and it is a very similar mechanic to things that we've seen in like Obra Dinn or mm-hmm. in the um, uh, the Golden Idol game that we played earlier this year uh, that where like you really only need to know, say, four out of five or three out of four of the symbols on a particular page. If you've you know figured out most of them pretty solidly, but then there's one or two that you're a little less solid on, you can guess, you can try. And if you just, you know, even if you're a little hazy on one or two of them, if you can drag and drop these things into the right slots and you happen to get them in the right slot, it freezes them in place for you. So it does give you that little bit of extra wiggle room. I will totally admit to having very freely done the cheese strat in this case, which is like, okay, there's a page with four words on it. I know three of them and I have eight other glyphs that I haven't identified yet. What if I just drag each of the eight glyphs in one after a time, one after another in order to, to, uh, in order to figure it out. And I'll tell you what, sometimes that worked and it was great. And it felt a little bit like a cheese strat, but I was okay with it. I was comfortable with that. But also sometimes I would do all eight of them and realize None of that worked. I must have a mistake in these other three that I was so sure about. And that's actually also really useful information. So um, 
And sometimes it would be things like, oh, well, you know, I had the grammar wrong. And so these two words that I thought were, you know, is large were actually large is. And I had like, I had half of my glyphs backwards in the whole language, things like that. Um, and so it's, it's really a good, like mechanical set of tools for, fa- for th- th- this, this problem set that seems enormous. Like you're finding sometimes multiple sentences worth of a language that you not only don't know what any of the symbols mean, but don't even know what the sentence means, what the the um, what the like word order could be, and trying to sort of narrow that stuff in from very small bits of information, like you know a single word label on a statue, or you know uh, a, a single word graffitied on a wall with no context, you know that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Like these little bits of information that give you hints at what a word might mean. And and kind of build up to finally having an understanding of the whole thing. And I, I did take some notes on paper, but I, I think another thing I really appreciate about this game is um, so people are talking to you in glyphs. Um, you just get a series of glyphs. But if you have um, nothing translated, it will just be a series of dots. If you have something confirmed, it will be in just like bright white text. Um, if you have something that with a question mark, it will kind of dim it a little and italicize it. So you can see the words very clearly you don't have, the words that you definitely have, and the words that you are guessing at. So people are talking and you are partially translating. And it does feel a little bit like listening to someone speaking in a foreign language where you're like, you 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 clue in on a word you definitely know, you kind of are hazy, and then you just flat out miss the words you don't know. Like it, it actually <laughs> has the concept of like trying to listen to a language you know partially. Um, I, I thought that was a cool visual effect that also helped me isolate oh, I'm missing one glyph in the middle of the word and it's this one below the three dots. Like it's very friendly in that way of you know what you need to know in a word. Um, I did take some notes because while you look at the glyph page, the most recent thing you've seen is visible. Uh, Occasionally I wanted to reference things from the past, um, but often it was- was, That was the one thing I really wished that you could do in this was like sometimes I would want to, I'd be like, you know, several screens away from something that I had referenced. And I would go into my little book page screen and I would Mm -hmm. want to click on a glyph. Like I wish I could click on a glyph and see other places I had seen. Had seen the word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, I, I, in heaven's vault, I didn't really love the timeline feature for this either. Like I found that too complicated. So uh, that is still a problem to solve people who do linguistics games. Like neither game has cut that one. Um, I still find myself writing down some stuff. Um, but it's fine. My considering I played this game for about, um, well, the timer said eight and a half hours. I think it was closer to seven and a half. Again, I played with someone else. I cannot overestimate how much that saved my time. Yeah. I think you were making a lot faster progress. And I made about, I played about eight hours and I got l- way less far than you did. I think I got a little over halfway through, whereas you totally like blitzed it. But you're also just better at this stuff than me. <laughs> yeah. We've got, you know, two linguistic people, but like my, my notes, often I would write down a phrase and then it would be written in my book for me. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you. Um, often if there's a long message, the book will take notes for you. Um,
Yeah, let's talk a little what we can before spoilers about the different cultures, because that's one of the things that I was like most surprised by in this game. Like I, I knew on some level from the description that like, OK, there's multiple different languages, but it hadn't really like sunk in before I really got to it that like, oh, OK, so this is a a tower where people have been living in these strata for so long that their cultures have diverged from one another. Mm-hmm. And um and also, like, each of the levels kind of has a theme in a way mm-hmm. that, like, real cultures don't, right? But this is a, this is, you know, this is a heightened thing. So the very first level is the devotees, a sort of, like, religious vibe, right? And there's a, there you can get, you know, once you explore that space, you you realize, oh, well, there's this door I can't go past because there's warriors there. There's these, like, guards guarding the place, guarding me from, you know, stopping me from going any further up the tower. And I didn't realize until I got to the second level, oh, like the the warriors are a whole different culture. They've they're the they're the second level. We're not gonna talk about all of the the different layers pre-spoiler break. But I thought that's that was a like huge really, part of the fun. It is, it's a huge part discovering the different layers. But I thought it was super cool. Like you you think when you go in, oh, this is gonna be like, you know, chance of Sonar. It's like the whole thing is some kind of religious, you know edifice right Mm -hmm. and you think that's going to be the vibe throughout and it's not like the second layer totally different vibe from the abbey of the first layer and like layers above that get even more different like it that was it's such a joy they and each level has different you know obviously uh, different people and a different language but different architecture different color palette different um, pacing like the, yeah. the the scope and size and shape of the levels changed dramatically and it feels like you were in a different world um without the color palette I mean, the color palette changes but it stays in the same vibe um uh a thing i enjoy um that is i don't think it's a spoiler is there's always a different little hidden animal sneaking in on each mm-hmm. level um so you when you're in um a lot of the view is like this top down um view and it, it sometimes it gets funny angles where you're seeing a lot of roof and you're really seeing how tall this tower is um often for example in, in the second level you see a little gecko <laughs> and i definitely uh like accidentally almost closed the whole game trying to take a screenshot of the little gecko moving around but there's little animal friends hidden around um just an extra level to the culture but i think my favorite feeling is you get to a new level you know none of the language you're surrounded by a people you might have seen one of but probably none of and then you don't know how they're going to react to you you do not know what you're going to do on that level and i think it is hard for a game to perpetually feel real and unprepared. Like usually you level up and you go to the next level and you're like, cool, I'm ready for the next level. And here I was came in and was like, what is happening? What is going on? I have no idea who these, like, what have I gotten myself into? Um, and I was surprised every level kept that. I never felt unsafe. I mean, it's not a combat game again, but there were places where the, the whole mood of the level was so dramatically different that I definitely felt out of place. And I think that's a cool feeling for the game to give you. Yeah. There's also like, there's stuff happening in these spaces. Like I, I this, this is hard to get into without. Getting there's into a lot of story. And the trick about the language is as you decipher it, you get more of the story of the culture yes. and like the reward for the puzzle of the language is more story. 
Yeah. Love that. Um, mm-hmm. And like, again, this is hard to get into without getting into spoilers, uh, especially because this really kicked in for me in the third level mm-hmm. or third layer. But like you, you, you're not just learning about what's, you know, like what each of these cultures is like, there's like, there's like stuff happening in these, in these different spaces. Um, there's sure a story to- and then there's another, like there's always multiple levels happening in a, a culture. Um, we're talking very much around this, but I know it, Reagan is talking about um, every time there's a, a surface story and a second one you get only after you learn more language or found a certain area. Uh, and yeah. you're like, ah, that's what's really going on here. Yeah. Um, I love it. I love yeah. it. I, I love like, um, like opening a door and like going behind the scenes of something, right? Like mm-hmm. that's my favorite thing in games. Like the, the feeling of like, Oh, I'm not supposed to be here. Or, uh, you know, that's the feeling of like, I, I was, I was thinking about like, you hear about this is like I, I'm not I'm not like a totally obsessed with Disney World Disneyland but like I I'm obsessed with hearing about like the behind the scenes stuff of, of it mm-hmm. and sometimes you you hear these stories about like so apparently at Disney World like there's these vast underground catacombs for doing things like moving trash and cast members around mm-hmm. and like if you put trash into a trash can the reason that you don't see people coming by and emptying the trash cans every 10 minutes is that they just open into an underground space where somebody trucks all the trash away and it's like a little like a little like magical you know and, and and like this idea that like okay if you just if you just open the wrong door you're going to end up in like the back rooms of Disney World right so i find that that concept very exciting and when you get to play with that kind of thing in games which isn't everywhere in this game but it's definitely present like i love that i love the feeling of like ah i found a place i'm not supposed to be or i'm seeing how uh how this facade is supported from behind you know what i mean mm-hmm. um i love that so there's some of that in this game that you get and i just i i just adored that so i do want to give one public service announcement which is this game inexplicably had stealth puzzles <laughs> oh yeah not my favorite thing um they are thematically appropriate um, the first level does it as a tutorial. As you go uh, forward, when there are stealth puzzles, they feel correct to that culture and that area, and they disappear in safer ones and show up in more dangerous ones. So I felt I never felt the stealth puzzle was uh, off theme, but there are stealth puzzles. You should be aware there are stealth puzzles, and um, most of them are in the second level. Yeah. For thematically obvious reasons, I already said that the second level is the warriors. Well, what do warriors love to do? Come up and hit you with a sword um, if you're in the space place where you're not supposed to be. So I that was probably my least favorite aspect of the game. And I was glad to see the back of it once I moved on to the third level. They're pretty Um, short and they're relatively rare, but they do exist. And you should know because they were surprising to me. Yeah. And um, yeah, they were short. And also they they do save in the middle, which is. Mm hmm. Which is a plus. Um, like there's, for example, like, you know, there's a large area you have to stealth through and there's a bunch of different moving guards. And this is all seen from a top down perspective. It's not impossible, but it's also not a stealth game in the sense that like it doesn't it's not full of UI like vision cones or anything like that. You are just sort of having to kind of like use the space, use your best judgment and try to get through without being seen. 
and you know learn the patterns of the of the the guards walking around and whatever whatnot. Um, but it does save halfway through, or at least maybe even two or three times. So if you like make it past a significant chunk of that of that area, and then you get caught, it's not going to send you back to the beginning of the area. It's a, it's pretty kind about where it, it auto saves for you. Yeah, and also this is another time where the game has just a little bit of extra differentiation between levels. When you get caught, the animation is different every time, depending mm-hmm. on what level you're on, um, which is just um, an extra treat. Like, you're never happy to be caught. But I was, the first time I got caught on a new level, I was like, oh, okay, that's the that's the image for this one. Great. Like, that's exciting. So I, I do appreciate the effort to make it um, again, feel like you're in a different place. It doesn't repeat itself very often. Yeah, every level is very differentiated. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but I, I I was constantly thinking about, uh, did you ever read the Ted Chiang story, uh, Tower of Babel, or sorry, Tower, Tower of Babylon? I have not. Um, I haven't read Ted Chiang. Uh, I know I'm a bad nerd. Um, I very much enjoyed Arrival, and I understand like Ted Chiang's like very important, but I just never got around to reading a short story. So tell me about he, Tower of Babel. He whips uh, his very first published short story is a story about it's a it's like a science fiction story set in like a what if of what if the Hebrew com- cosmology of the world was accurate. So mm. the the world is flat and the heavens are a literal vault, the vault of heaven, you know, a, a, a big kind of dish at the top of the world that, you know, uh, and, and building a tower of Babel is completely a practical and, and possible thing. Mm. And it has been being built for decades. And it is so tall that like, you know, a, uh, uh, losing a brick over the side of the, of the tower, that's no big deal, but losing a trowel over the side of a tower, that is a cause for much weeping because without a trowel, a bricklayer cannot work and has to make the many months trek down to down. the bottom to get a new mm. one and then back up. Uh, it's a it's a great story. And um, if you Google it, it's for whatever reason, like the, the first result is like a PDF of it. Um, you can you can get it's in it's in one of his collected short stories. There's a good mm-hmm. audiobook of that. So I, I totally recommend it. I don't know. I, I just thought about it a lot as I was playing this. Not because there's a lot of similarity between that and this. That is much the Ted Chiang short story. It's more of a novella. is uh, is much more concerned with like the practicalities of building a tower to the heavens, mm-hmm. um, whereas this is more you know concerned. But th- it does touch on things like cultural differences between layers and so on. You know, if this tower has been being built for you know hundreds of years, uh, like w- there are people who live their entire lives in the upper levels of the tower and have never set foot on the ground. And what is, what are the cultures like? So I thought about that a lot as I was playing this, although they're very different takes on this idea, but I love that story. And I also just sort of like this idea of like dealing with the practicalities of a tower to heaven. I think it's a, it's a cool, weird, you know, thing to interpret in new ways. So I was that thematically, I was like super vibing with that aspect of the game. Yeah. And I think there are it I find it very difficult to talk about one of the things I found most warming 
and and lovely about this game because it is a, a core theme and I think you get it by playing it and I don't want to spoil it for people. Um, I will say that this game is not, um, it's not emotional in the tragic sense. Um, I, I, there's not a secret dark mystery at the core, but I found this a very uh, like relaxing, I, I would almost say like for some people I could see this being healing. Like I, I find it very warm in its concepts. I don't want to explain why, <laughs> but like <laughs> in a game about uh, stratification, I think a lot of the the game mechanic and what you learn along the way, you feel a lot like um, it, it is about similarities and differences. And I find that very interesting, both from a language standpoint and from like a thematic standpoint. I found that um, it got stronger as the game progressed. Um, often, I find that themes are strongest at the beginning of the game, and then they kind of lose track of it and remember it at the end. <laughs> I was yeah. happy to see this like concentrated as it went, um, which I found very positive. Like I, I generally like games that get more um, fiercely dedicated to the theme as they go, and that's pretty rare. Um, games often run out of time and money towards the end, and then like the ending is back on theme, and then that like last for the third act is rough um and i think this one kept strong throughout awesome i can't wait to play the rest of this you know sometimes when we play games for the show i get you know two-thirds of the way through somebody else has finished it like we're gonna like, go I'm we're done. gonna record and i'm kind of like okay you know i've seen it through i'm good to go um but in this one uh, i am gonna stick around for that spoiler break i don't think i'll be my mind being spoiled uh, but I am really eager to play more of this. I'm going to be playing some more of it over the the holidays coming up here, uh, trying to, to polish off the last little bit. Um, uh, but I, I would say in, if you're going to play this uh, and you have the the person in your life who could play it along with you, I think Laura's approach here, playing it it's on couch really, with somebody. really fun to play with someone else. Mm -hmm. I did not have that opportunity here. And uh, I wish that I had because I think I would have made a little more progress more quickly. There were some places where I got kind of stuck, had to like put it away for a day and come back. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a lovely game. And it also scratches the the Obradin and um, uh, and uh, um, uh, Golden Idol itch. This is a specific puzzle game niche that I don't think gets scratched often enough for me. Um, mm -hmm. and having, this is, this is interesting cause it's like, it's not really that, but it has enough of that to scratch the same itch. It's, it's very, uh, it, it's a cool twist on that set of mechanics, you know, blended together with the other aspects like the language stuff. I, I'm really glad that I, we have another game that's loosely in this genre because it's such a great genre and it is so tiny at this point. It's basically two and a half games. If you count this one as a half a one. Yes. And I think that, um, it's that, um, it's not just solving a puzzle unlocks the next thing. It's that like, it's, it's, playing detective and i think that like playing detective in a very specific um like elemental way where you're literally putting little bits of things together to solve something um there's three there's three of them make more of them there's going to be more uh golden idol which i'm excited about yeah yeah me too and there was another game suggested in the discord uh and oh geez now the name is escaping me i don't know if you saw it it was um it was done with uh uh, 
is, is it, like you're investigating a family tree or something like that that seemed to have that very same sort of uh, similar vibe to the mechanics. Uh, I'll think of the name in a minute or I'll find it in the in the scroll back here. Hi there, this is Editing Reagan, uh, letting you know that the game that I couldn't think of the name of was The Root Trees Are Dead, and it's something I'm hoping to check out soon. Like this is an expanding genre. It's something that like there's definitely other people making stuff in this vein now. Uh, and uh, we're getting a little bit, we're getting far enough out from Obradin that, you know, those games are starting to hit or starting to hit release. It's great to see. And this was a very fun, I mentioned playing it with someone else. Um, we've also been having fun in our Discord talking about it in a chat called Chats of Sinar, um, where people are like, we're not even solving puzzles together, which is what we thought it was going to be, but people are just posting their realizations. Um, and after people beat it, they are revealing it. So it's just a very, very pleasing that people are coming up with like, why did you know this meant love and that responsibility and everyone has a slightly different story of when they made that realization um i think that's cool that we're we're solving the puzzles in slightly different ways so i think that's pretty much all we have for chance of Sinar, but i'll i'll just quickly leave it with this game is it's great i think we all recommend it fortunately it will play on anything so this mm-hmm. is out on all consoles playstation 4 5 xbox one x uh, Windows and the Nintendo Switch. I haven't played the Switch version, but this ran so butter smooth on my like low end laptop. And I played it in parallels on a Mac, and it had no yeah. problems. Yeah, yeah. That that's that's for a game that looked this good. I was like expecting a lot of trouble. Yeah, um, so this is a very well optimized game. It'll probably run fine on whatever you decide to run it on. I chose to run it on a computer because this does have that language aspect, and you'll be typing in guesses. And so playing it on something with a keyboard, I felt like was was the vibe for me. But it has an on-screen keyboard. You know, if you were playing with a controller um, or if you're on something like a Switch, you can probably tap your way through it with the touchscreen. Mm-hmm. So it, it's probably fine wherever. If you're playing on a mouse and keyboard setup, it plays like an adventure game, you know, click to walk. Uh, so click where you want to go kind of thing. But if you're playing with a controller, you just control your little guy around. Uh, one other thing that we didn't mention while we were talking about the sort of adventure gamey aspect to it is that um, this game knows that hunting for objects in your environment is not what this game is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it has a button you can hold down on your controller or mouse or or keyboard, and it will just highlight everything on screen that is interactable. Um, and so like despite the fact that this technically plays like a point and click game, there is zero pixel hunting in this. No. Uh, the closest I ever got to was a, a point in the game where I had to find some fruit and I had to hunt around for that. <laughs> but it basically just meant walking up to every tree in the space, holding on the button to see if it showed up on the little thing. So like really kind and uh, and uh, and takes good care of you with regards to the like the things that might have might frustrate you about uh about point and click style games. Yes. I think kindness is my overwhelming word for this game. I think it's um, the puzzle is not the UI. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. It, yeah. It has great UI throughout. Um, in, in case we didn't make that clear, everything about the UI is great in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially that it is willing to get that UI out of your face when you don't need it and lets you just look at beautiful places. Just really, really good looking. Yeah. Game. Always looks good. Yes. With these 
two-person episodes, we tend to have a lot of extra time because there's just two of us talking. So we've got more time for what's making us happy. So Laura, I hope you've got something. I can talk about a couple of quick things. Go for uh, it. Yeah. So uh, what's making me happy lately? So I, I had a goal for myself of reading. So when I say, first of all, I'll preface this by saying, I am of the opinion that audiobooks count as reading. I'm not going to mince words. I say the word read a book, and then I'll talk about an audiobook. And if you're the sort of person who says that doesn't count as reading, sure, you're right. I don't care. I'm just saying reading. I, I do a lot of audiobooks. And um, so I, I had a goal for myself of reading 20 books this year, and I blew past it. Um, Good job. And I, I had a couple That's hard of, to do in audiobooks because they're slower often than reading, depending. Oh, not for me. <laughs> well, well I, I am not a parent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, for me, like, I, I mean, audiobooks are like my saving grace because like I do not ever seem to have time to sit down and read a book anymore. Mm -hmm. And when I do, I'm often prioritizing other media because like, you know, I can't I can't play a video game while I'm washing dishes or, you know, driving to daycare or whatever. But but uh, audiobooks, like I, I go through a lot of audiobooks. And um, the most recent two that I've finished, I thought I'd mention because they were both good and uh, might be interesting to people who are into this show. Uh, one was I listened to uh, the audiobook of Doom Guy, the sort of autobiography by John Romero of uh, of id games and this is actually the second book on the sort of story of john romero and id that i have read i, I read the one from years ago um, masters of doom probably like six or eight years ago um but i am endlessly fascinated by the story of id games i'm not even that big a fan of doom like i've played doom i like it okay but like i find it fascinating in a lot of different ways just like the the whole story of like you know, the John Romero and, and Carmack, you know, meeting at, you know, from in the Apple two days and coming together at soft disc and creating a bunch of like, they, they, they got like the weird fast track of becoming game developers because they worked for this company that had to mail out a disc with a game on it every like month, I think. And they had, they created like 20 games together during that time. And they were mostly weird garbage, but like they learned how to make games fast and, uh, and then, and developed some really cool, interesting ideas. And then like, they have this, these wild, like explosions of technical innovation, things like when, uh, when Carmack figured out how to do smooth scrolling, uh, and, uh, and, you know, made what eventually became the like commander keen games, but like they, they had the amazing anecdote of like, they created this thing and they tried to pitch it to Nintendo saying like, Hey, let us do the, the PC port of, of Mario. And of course they got laughed out of town, but then they went and did their own thing and became id software. Like, hmm. I love this. I love this whole story of this, of this company, uh, and these wild personalities. And, um, it's a really good book. Um, I think Masters of it's a good companion piece also to Masters of Doom. It, it's a, it's got some flaws in that it is, you know, John Romero has a like he even talks about in the in the book he says he has some sort of um uh uh like mental he describe he describes it like as a diagnosis of something but he has like essentially total recall so he says that he has like basically perfect recall of everything he's ever experienced in his life which mm. sure i hope you do buddy um and maybe maybe he does uh sounds like he he, he has a great 
um, memory for anecdotes. Every now and then he'll spend five pages on talking about like how they networked the computers in the id office or how they, um, uh, you know, how they came up. There, there was like three pages on how they added the numeral two to the doom logo. Like <laughs> what went into that thinking? Like, like, of course it was the numeral two, but he put it on there, but like, you know, he remembers anecdotes about this stuff, but that also really makes it obvious when he's like trying not to talk about things that make him uncomfortable. So, you know, it has that kind of vibe, like for probably obvious personal reasons, he doesn't want to talk about his, you know, his several relationships before his wife, Brenda in anything but glowing terms in ways that make you wonder about, you know, like there's, there's stuff that you, that if you read a lot about John Romero, that you know about John Romero, that he does not talk about in his book about himself for, obvious reasons so like stuff like that um or like you know in the instances where he had to fire people sometimes he doesn't even Mm. name them like he doesn't want to talk about anything negative um whether it's you know negative things that he did or even just negative things that happened to him so it it has a kind of a weird pollyanna vibe for something about a guy who spent you know half of his career (laughs) like in the doghouse of the industry um but it's a good book. It's good uh, for one of these sorts of things. And it also like does a great job of talking about his childhood, which I'd never read about anywhere and was very interesting. Um, so I recommend that book totally. And I, if you if you like the story of id games as much as I do, uh, it's great. But also uh, Masters of Doom from you know many years ago, it's an older book now, is also very, very good. Um, but the other book that I read that I was like, I literally had this on my calendar. Like I was counting down the days until the, the most recent Murderbot novel came out. Laura, have you read the Murderbot diaries? Uh, I started and then it was like, not the right time. Like something tragic happened in my life. And I was like, not now Murderbot. I will come back to you when I'm ready. And so like, Mm. I'm, I'm really like looking forward to getting back to it. Um, Because I was, I, I did the same thing with Terry Pratchett where I like Terry Pratchett got spoiled. Literally six years later, I was like reading all the Terry Pratchett. So mm-hmm. Murderbot is gonna like. I know I'm just gonna rip through that series once it's once it's kind of lost its association. Hmm. Okay. I I adore the Murderbot Diaries. They're by an author named Martha Wells. Um, what's very interesting about Martha Wells is that she has a very long history of like writing mostly fantasy novels. Um, that were like, you know, she had an audience, but never really like cracked it, right? Like she she was never like top tier, you know, uh, bestseller uh, novel writer. She would write things like, like you know, licensed novels sometimes, things like that too. Uh, but just like a working writer for mm-hmm. a long time. She's an older lady. And um, then she published a, basically a short story, like a novella uh, around this character Murderbot. And it took off and she has written... A, a series of these. I think this is the sixth Murderbot book. Some of them are very short, like novella length. Others are full novels. This is, I think, the second full length novel, um, this most recent one. And they're great. So I, I will say that you may hear the name Murderbot and get the wrong vibe about this. It is a very interesting sort of anti-corporate uh, uh, like sci-fi uh, premise. It's this far future. There's this whole zone of the Milky Way galaxy called the Corporation Rim that is hyper-corporate. Everything is run by corporations. The main character, uh, 
who calls himself Murderbot. He is a sec unit, which is a kind of a construct, which is sort of like a cyborg, but they like grow a human brain and some organic parts around a, a robot body. Um, and he internally works more like a robot than a person. He doesn't see himself as a human being. There's a lot of, he has a lot of like, there's a lot of um, psychological distance between him and the human beings that he, mostly what, what these sec units are created to do is protect humans who are doing dangerous things on, uh, on other planets. Um, but they are treated like objects. And so like he has a, a, a chip in his head that will basically do like, shock therapy on him if he gets more than you know five meters away from his handler or if he doesn't do exactly what he is programmed to do by his over overseeing computer system at any given time uh and the beginning of the story is he is a uh he's uh he's managed to hack his his governor module and he's become a free thinking creature um and it has is a great adventure story, but he's just such a wonderful character. Um, and if the name Murderbot Diaries puts you off, just understand like it's it's tongue in cheek. It's actually a pretty funny and warm set of uh, of stories. Um, and he's he calls himself Murderbot because he has this kind of discomfort with what he was created to do. Um, uh, and so that's his sort of like his sort of ironic name for himself when he's when he talks to himself in his head. Um, I love these books. They're phenomenal. The most recent one just came out. And to my absolute joy, they finally there have been rumors that there were there was going to be a Murderbot Diaries TV show. This is I cannot think of anything that would be better to be a TV show. It's got this novella structure that's like ideal because it's got arcs sort of pre-built for you. And Alexander Skarsgård is going to play Murderbot and I think that what is wonderful. such great casting. I just love it. Like he's he's got Alexander Skarsgård has the sort of like discomfort in his own skin but also like He's like he you, he can't stand how hot he is. Exactly. Like like exactly. Alexander Skarsgård is is discomfited by how attractive he is. It's it's exactly it. Like I can totally see like Murderbot's whole deal is like being uncomfortable with being around human beings. He mm -hmm. kind of has a little autism coded kind of vibe to him because he doesn't like looking people in the eye. He's uncomfortable with human emotions. He thinks of himself as a computer system, essentially. Um, uh, and, uh, but, you know, but he has all those, like he has, he has the meat parts, you know, he has the emotions. He's just uncomfortable with them. Um, and so like Alexander Skarsgård will be perfect for this. I cannot wait for this. So anyway, I'm very, very excited about Murderbot Diaries as a TV show. Uh, and I was very excited to read the latest novel, which is a direct picks up like five minutes from the end of the last novel kind of uh, sequel, exactly the kind of thing that you look for. Great new adventure. Loved it. So anyway, Laura, what's making you happy this week? Sorry to talk for 10 years there. Uh, I'm going to keep mine short and sweet because I do want to have time for a spoiler break. Um and that is that I've just been watching a lot of cartoons for the first time of my life, like actual kids cartoons, like 90s superheroes, specifically like Spider-Man, Batman the Animated Series, X-Men. Um, nice. I never watched these growing up. 
Um, they're keeping me company and like they're all 20 minutes. And mm-hmm. so there are a lot of things you need to do where you can kind of um, – I'm doing the opposite of a child, which is I'm not paying attention during the action scenes. <laughs> like I'm, like, But it, it's great. I've been doing a lot of like baking for a cookie exchange at work and like prepping my house for a last-minute house guest and like all these things that I need like um, – you know, I could listen to a podcast, but it's feeling a little bit more brain filling than that. And um, honestly, it's surprising how good they are. I kind of thought they'd all be terrible, but I, I've been steered towards the good ones, apparently. Um, What's your favorite know. right now? Well, I started off watching Spider-Man because um, that was oh, the easiest. Which? Because there's a lot of Spider-Man. Oh, 1994. Uh, okay. The one that has the Aerosmith theme song where they sing yeah. spider blood, spider blood, radioactive spider blood, which is uh, I thought they were singing spider blog. And I was like, <laughs> blocks weren't around in the 90s. Um, spider blood. Um, and it, the beginning is the most dense storytelling. Um, I'm not used to that because my entrance is through the films. In one 20 minute episode, they did. Like they introduced a villain, they did the origin story. Peter Parker met Mary Jane. He decided not to be Spider Man. He decided to be Spider Man again. He caught the villain, and then he like Kingpin showed up, and that was twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> like they they just ripped through the plot. Like plots of three Marvel movies are covered in one episode, and it is just the most efficient humanly possible thing. It is. It is like reading comics. It um, It is actually like reading like when I read Marvel Unlimited and was ripping through the old comics. Like things happen in an issue. Um, the pace of storytelling matches that. Um, That's fine. And I know I, I haven't started watching X-Men, but it's on my list because I want to pay a little more attention to X-Men. So I feel like after the holidays, um, I'll watch the X-Men animated series for the first time. You know, I should give that a shot. I've I've only ever watched like I, I watched X-Men, the animated series when I was a kid, but like in bits and you know, pieces on broadcast yeah. TV. And that, I've never watched it like beginning to end. Um, and I know the, there's big chunks of it that I've never seen. The issue is Batman animated series is too pretty. That I want to watch it, which means that it doesn't fit the purpose I am watching cartoons for. So I'm going to have to hold off on that one and watch it like an actual TV show rather than like baking a bunch of cookies during it Um, because because it's too pretty. Like I want to watch the screen when Batman is on Spider-Man, like the animation is not great. But mm-hmm. the it's like listening to a podcast with with pictures I can look at every five seconds. That's cool. Um, yeah, I was posting on Mastodon a couple of days ago. Like I, I I'm wondering what like I, I we were for a while there in like an absolute golden era of like Western cartoons. Thinking about things like you know uh, Avatar and Korra and things like you know Adventure Time and uh, and Steven Universe etc and Over the Garden Wall and like we had a, a great decade of amazing Western animation and things have like scattered to the various um, streaming platforms and I don't know what's good anymore I don't know mm-hmm. what people are watching I don't know if the golden age is over or if I just am, am missing it um, so I wonder if folks have any particular uh, current western cartoons that you think are great um you can probably guess from what i just name dropped the kinds of things that i'm into um but if you 
you know, if you have a, a Western cartoon that you think is really great, that's current, uh, let me know. I, I want I want to seek some of that stuff out. I'm kind of missing that in my diet these days. All right. Well, then with that, uh, I'll, I'll do a quick outro in case folks are dropping here for the spoiler break. We're about to go to our spoilers. We'll try to keep that fairly tight. Uh, but if you're dropping here, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. You can find our show on the internet at shortgame.fm. That's the page where you can find all the links and buttons to all the things, including our Patreon, patrons of this show. Uh, get access to our Discord community where we talk, we chat, chat the chats of Sonar, uh, and we also, uh, it's a great place to recommend games for the show. Uh, the recommendations channel is the number one resource that makes this show possible. Thank you to all of our patrons for posting there when you see something cool. Uh, so not just recommendations from us, man, and not just giving recommendations to us either. Like our listeners do a great job of recommending good shit to each other. Uh, it's a great place to hang out on the internet. Uh, of course, you can find me uh, on the web at reagan.me. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N dot me. Uh, and that's got links to all of my stuff, including my Mastodon, which is the place I post the most. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? I'm Laura J. Nash at Blue Sky. And you can also find me at Mastodon at Laura J. Nash Rodeo. And here it is, your spoiler break. Yeah, I'm going to run through some of my uh, highlights of this game. Um, I did hit credits. Uh, first of all, I say there is a bad ending. Um, I got the good ending. Um, the game will warn you. So if you try to, so there's little telephone booths. I don't know if you saw them. The that, sort of like, elevator things? Yeah, the little elevator things. Mm -hmm. So if you get all of those connections up and running, um, you have to get all 10 of them done. And there's a zero. <laughs> Which we didn't know. There's a there's a door zero on the first floor. So there's two per floor. Um, it's really easy to miss that first one. Um, and then once you get, but they'll warn you if you try to go up and you haven't made all the connections. So it's a you will know if you are pursuing. Like if you you decide to go to in game without it, they're like, don't go up to the top. Everyone will die. Like literally the message is <laughs> like that. So like if you do that and then like get, proceed to get the bad ending, like you deserve it. Um, the game's not going to block you from messing up. Um, but uh, a couple of things I found super delightful. The bards are uh, so funny and idiotic. Um, I love that. Story. The servants so rebellion on the bard floor is what we were trying to talk around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that I love that. I loved like when I finally ended up down in their weird piss basements. Like uh -huh. you, it's so funny. Like you see at the top when you're up at, on the, the, the bard's floor, they have like, these, like, why is all the water beautiful yellow? fountains of yellow. And it's like, ah, like fountains of gold. And some of them are drinking the gold liquid. Ah, the nectar of the gods. And then you go down in the basement and like, it just like it's just a sewer of yellow water and it just looks gross. It's the same stuff. It just looks gross down there. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I, are they just drinking piss? <laughs> and then you find out the servants hate them and you're like, maybe they are. <laughs> um, maybe they are drinking piss. Um, it's when you get the phone, when you get the, the translation service working on one of the floors, like the servants are like, we aren't free. Our lives are terrible. And the devotees are like, everyone's free here. Come to the Abbey. And then all of the servants leave. And then all nice. the little machines on the bards level stop working. <laughs> it's so funny. There's like a fan going, but then you see a person like churning underneath and you don't know what it is. And then you, that person leaves and the fan stops moving. Like, it's just so satisfying to be like, yes, uprising. Um, awesome. 
There's also like puppet shows on that level and they have a Flappy Bird game. Um, I didn't see the Flappy Bird game. Yeah, you can play Flappy Bird. Um, uh, There's a guy who this is a very specific joke to just me, but um, I lost my mind and had to like step away from the game and get water because a guy outside the theater was like comedy you like. And I lived in the village and I would come back from my like pre-pandemic. I would come like 9.30 p.m. with a bag pop clear, like like in work clothes and heels with like a backpack with a laptop in it. I'd be walking down the street and they'd be like, hey, you like comedy? <laughs> over and over for three blocks or like pass through the gauntlet every day and so walking up to the theater and he goes comedy you like and i was like oh no (laughs) (laughs) they followed me into the game (laughs) nowhere Um, safe from those guys they're gonna start handing you their mixtapes next or their (laughs) they're like this is how i get stage time man don't don't be a hater um uh so all that was delightful um you haven't gone past that level, right? No, that's where. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm almost done with that level. I've like explored the underneath area there, and I've got the the compass, and I'm like working on getting out of that that zone. But that's where I I stopped it, and I I've I put I think between seven and eight hours in mm-hmm. at this point. So like that's yeah. where I, I I think I, I'm more than halfway, but not a whole lot more than halfway is my my vibe. I will alight a little bit because I want to preserve some of the surprises on the in-between floors for you. Sure. Um I'll say that we really enjoyed the fourth floor. Um there is a counting system involved, which uh we found fun. Um your your mileage may vary. Yeah. Um then there is um like an outside top level. And then there's like, go back and make sure all your stuff is translated end game. So like, that's, that's how far you have left is you got one more complete floor, another like half floor level. Um, but they, they do some things there to speed up the translation process significantly. Hmm. Um, and then like end game. Um, I kind of have a question for you about that. Is like, I have a few glyphs from, uh, especially from the warriors level that are still left kind of unfinished. You do not need to un- you do not need to confirm glyphs to get through. Okay, that's good to know. My concern was I was going to end up having to go like pour through that zone to like confirm the last five glyphs or whatever. You will need to be able to translate the like what we were calling the phone calls in the elevator booths, but you can if you have guesses for those glyphs, you um, should be fine. Um, there are even ways later on where you get, you know, dual languages at once and you can use those to, you, you won't be able to confirm them. Um, you won't get them to turn white and lock mm-hmm. in, but you will be able to very reasonably be like, ah, yes, that is for sure key. Or yes, that is door, even if it never pops into place, um, which I think is fair. We went back, but that's because we um, wanted to, see what happened if we mm-hmm. completed other languages. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, once you open those uh, elevators, it's not such a trial. No, it's not too bad to go back. Um, and usually the room you missed is a surprise. Like usually there's some cool story thing in that room. If you miss a room that doesn't have a glyph. Um, every time we did that, it was a cool underground, you know, uprising room or a secret lab or like that kind of thing. So cool. we never felt, angry going back to get glyphs 
um, it's usually a substantial sector we had missed. Um, but I will say after you've, um, Spoilers in the spoiler break, everybody. Um, the top level are these like plugged in gamer chair dudes who are <laughs> in like video game land who created the tower and then like went into their heads uh, and X because they were like, we're done with physical life. And then you like basically turn off all of their machines. So they unplug and like actually connect to humans again and like reconnect to everybody else they were supposed to be. Like, instead of managing the tower, they were just playing video games, and then they, like, fully just stopped doing anything but playing video games. <laughs> it's kind of great. They all have these floating gamer chairs <laughs> and these creepy white masks. Um, so you, like, unplug them, and then there's a... Um, I hate I hate spoiling this for you, but that's the point. The, uh, uh, you go through a, like, false ending which is very cool. And I'm going to, that's all I'm going to say there. Cause I'm going to preserve it. When you get to the final ending, um, uh, it, I think it is important to talk about the very end because it is the thematic conclusion. Um, all your people are there from all floors and you get the, like you've been building this prism on the phone. Like when you're, when you connect levels together, it builds a little constellation and builds a prison. And then once you get up to the top and you press the button, it um, rotates and you realize that the glyph that in each language means the most important thing to them. God, duty, beauty are the first three or the first three levels, but it like morphs through and you realize that the difference like angles you view the prison at become the glyphs for the most important, like core concept to the, to the levels. Uh, so it's like, Oh, they're all actually like, they all have different words for what's most important to them, but they're all just different sides of literally the same thing. And it's like a very moving visual linguistic puzzle. Um, you realize they're all similar shapes and connection and, They've hidden it well enough that you don't realize that. I didn't. Although one of our chats of Sinar people did earlier. Like they're like, these all seem the same, but I can't put my finger on it. And you see that it's the prism. Um, as you rotate a clear prism, like it's making the shapes for the different levels. That's awesome. So, and that's the end is like, and then everyone like talks to each other about like, oh, beauty, duty, they're the same, like, <laughs> we value different things, but they are all a, very important. So it's this unification, linguistic connection. Um, in, that's how the game ends. Awesome. Well, I that's not spoiled enough for me that I don't want to keep playing. I, I was wait. trying to talk very around structure. I know, I know. <laughs> and, you know, I, I opted into this. It's just the two of us. <laughs> if it were if it were more of us, I might have dropped to say, "Hey, somebody else spoil it." Yeah, I just wanted to really like for folks who have played. I just wanted to share, like, yes, that moment was super special. Like that sounds amazing. The end of the I'm, game is very satisfying. I can't wait to play more of it. So, listeners, thank you for keeping with us and sticking it out and uh, and joining us for this spoiler break if you're so inclined uh and we'll see you pretty soon a uh, quick bit of programming note uh we're very close to the end of the year now um odds are we probably won't get our game of the year coverage out before the first week of the new year probably you know something like that so this may very well be your last episode of the short game for 2023 and if it is thank you so much it's been a good year uh thank you for your support thank you for listening and we'll see you in 2024 see you in 2024